This morning our scripture reading again comes from Genesis this morning, chapter 29, beginning in verse 15. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were lovely, and Rachel was graceful and beautiful. Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I might go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her maid. When morning came, it was Leah, and Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Did I not, did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, This is not done in our country, giving the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also, in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel as a wife. This is the word of God for the people of God. So if you were with us last Sunday, you might remember that we read from Genesis an earlier part of the same story about Jacob and his life and his different escapades. Last week, Jacob was on the run from his older brother. His older brother had become so enraged they wanted to kill him because the younger brother, Jacob, had stolen the blessing and the birthright from him, had deceived their father and taken it. So now Jacob has gone on the run. He's left his family trying to escape his brother. But by the time we get to chapter 29 and the part we read this morning, Jacob has arrived at his uncle Laban's place. In the verse just before we began to read, we were told that he's been there with Laban one month. And then we began to read the story that has that conversation between the uncle and the nephew saying, what should your wages be? How much do I need to pay you if you're going to be here? The presumption is he's been there for a month and not been paid anything, perhaps working, maybe perhaps only being a guest. But the uncle brings up the wages. But you remember, we were part of the story earlier. Jacob's not really looking for wages. He's looking for a wife. He's running from his brother, but he's hoping to find someone to marry. So Jacob is on the lookout for a wife. So when he responds, even though he was asked about wages, he begins to talk about brides or Uncle Laban's daughters as potential brides. The text tells us that they were lovely. And then verse 18 tells us what's really going on when it says, Jacob loved Rachel. So he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. It seems like a good idea to Laban. He says, okay, seven years labor. That sounds good to me. Stay with me. And then verse 20, so Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him 
but a few days because of the love he had for her. It made me think of when my wife Mary and I were engaged. We were doing some premarital counseling. In one of the sessions with the counselor, she looked at me and said, Tell me what you like about Mary. So I began to describe her bright mind, her beautiful looks, her winning personality, how we had so much fun together. And in fact, even though we had fun and there was great joy and love in the relationship, I went on to say, but also she will engage with me so deeply that sometimes we even get in fights. But even that's a good thing because I've never had that in a relationship before. And the counselor looked at me and said, you see Mary through rose-colored glasses. She was saying, I could only see the positives. I was so in love that I couldn't see the negatives. She wanted to make sure that I understood that a, a lifelong commitment is going to be positive, but there's also going to be the negatives. And of course, she was right. There are those ups and downs in life together over the course of time in a marriage. Ah, but to be young in love is wonderful. It's wonderful. And that's what I think Jacob is in our story today. He is so enamored, so in love with Rachel that he says, seven years, that's nothing. I'm glad to do that. It's going to seem like a few days for me. We do for love what we won't do for money. That seems to be where Jacob is. It can happen in marriage. It can happen with our children. It can happen with siblings. It can happen with close friends. But there's an important insight here as well that Jacob demonstrates that I want us to notice, and that is your attitude or perspective can change your experience of a situation. Seven years, a few days, really? That's what he says. But we can think about it on a smaller scale. If we have a job that we love, the days fly by and we enjoy going. But if we have a job that we hate or we think is tedious or meaningless work, then it seems that the days drag by and the hours will never pass. Or if you work out or exercise and you have a regime that you like, then you look forward to going and it energizes you and it's exciting and it's a joy and it's a positive part of your life. But if you're trying to exercise and you don't enjoy the activity or it seems too hard or you become injured, then trying to think about going to exercise brings you down. And day after day when you think about it, it just becomes more and more of a burden. So our perspective or our attitude toward any task can change our experience of that. In this story today, Jacob has this bright, rose-colored vision of Rachel. So if he needs to work seven years, that's okay. It's only going to be a few days. It's not going to be a problem. So he does the work, and then the problem comes because Laban has other plans. Oh, when the seven years are up, Laban doesn't mention it, but somebody's counting. Jacob says, time's up. It's time for you to let me marry your daughter. Laban says, okay, throws a big feast, has a party, celebrates the union of these two. But then, late in the evening, 
under the cover probably of darkness and a wedding veil instead of escorting his daughter Rachel to the tent where she's to meet with Jacob. He takes the older daughter Leah. Well, now realize the irony here of what's happening. If you remember, if you've been with us through these last several weeks, I think you'll remember this early in Jacob's story. What does he do when he wants the birthright or the blessing of the inheritance from his father? He disguises himself, goes into the tent where if you've ever gone camping, you know at night in a tent is very dark. You can't see a thing. And he impersonates his brother. He deceives his father and he receives the inheritance blessing. And then when his brother gets angry, he runs and we find him on the run today. But realize that the very same scenario that we read about earlier is replaying itself, but with the characters in different roles. The very deception that Jacob used against his father and his brother has now been used against him. So perhaps there's a second insight here that we can gain that once we begin to deal in deception, it can come back to haunt us or harm us. Jacob wakes up the next morning. There's more light, presumably now. And he says, oh, no, it's Leah, the older sister, the other sister, not the one I love. He goes to find his uncle and says, what is this you have done to me? And Laban plays it off kind of casually. He says, well, you know, around here, we don't marry off younger daughters before older daughters. So you work seven years, you get the older one. You want the younger one seven more years. It's a stunning revelation of what's happening in the lives of these relatives. As we've talked about before, in some ways, these are archetypal stories of people of faith. And in other ways, they're stories of such dysfunctional families. But Jacob hears his uncle out. And then in verse 28, it tells us what he does. He's so in love with Rachel after Laban says, we need another seven years. Verse 28, Jacob did so, completed her week or Leah's week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel as a wife. Later on in the text, it says he works another seven years to earn his right to receive Rachel, the one he loves, to be his wife. As I read over and over in this text, I found it difficult to find the good news in such a story. I mean, women are treated as property and used as economic commodities for the father to have free labor. Polygamy is commonplace. Deceit seems to be commonplace to get what you want. There's so many things it seems that are wrong with the story. And yet, it's in the Bible for a reason. And usually those stories are teaching us about God. And I think we can find in this the good news. The good news is that God, throughout this ordeal, is portrayed as faithful in this relationship with Jacob. This covenant relationship that's been established with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is still a part of the life of Jacob and Rachel, even though all these wonder, weird things have happened. 
But there's something very important about loyalty and longevity. It made me think of the marriage vows we still use today in the United Methodist Church when we bring couples together and ask them to make a lifelong commitment to each other. We have them say in the name of God, I and say your name, take you to be my husband or wife from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until we are parted by death. Now we know that half the people from research, about half the people in the United States who are getting married also get divorced. But the vows we use in the marriage covenant service remind us that we're making a commitment it holds up the ideal that we're making a commitment that we're saying we will be loyal over a long course of time until we are parted by death if you've been married very long next month i'll celebrate 37 years with mary i know what it means for better or worse we've had both for richer or poor we've experienced both in sickness and in health, we've had our share of illness to deal with. But you know what happens when you deal with all those differences in life as you go through it is that you learn you can count on each other. If you both hang in there, you learn that you can count on each other. Mary and I know that about one another now. You cannot always make the other person happy. You cannot always be the person they wanted you to be. We're not always at our best. But we can live out this commitment. You can decide and commit to be there for the other person. Happens in marriage. Can happen in families, with parents and children, with siblings, with friends. At its best, it happens in Christian community that we are there for each other that's one of the things I think we miss so much by not gathering in worship together is that, that sense of support that we see when we see one another and shake hands or express greetings or share a hug or are able to have time to share in person a care or concern with someone. We're robbed of some of that support, some of that of being there for each other that we enjoy and thrive on so very much. But all these stories in Genesis tell us over and over again that God is here, that God is here for us. We've gone through these themes of God created us and God calls us and God pursues us even in our brokenness. And even though God doesn't protect us from times of challenge or even sometimes terrible suffering, that God is still there to strengthen and sustain us and that God's divine love continues to be offered to us day in and day out so that we might be transformed and experience the fullness of life that God imagines for each of us. Well, these stories that we're reading are full of deceit, but don't deceive yourselves. You are not alone even if you don't have people around you right now because of this pandemic, there are the presence of God. There is the people of God that are surrounding you with prayers and support, and you can know that you are not alone. The great good news is that God is with you. We have this powerful and wonderful affirmation of faith that I want to close with this morning that expresses this so well. It reads like this. 
we are not alone. We live in God's world. We believe in God who has created and is creating, who has come in Jesus, the Word made flesh, to reconcile and make new, who works in us and others by the Spirit. We trust in God. We're called to be the church, to celebrate God's presence, to love and serve others, to seek justice and resist evil, to proclaim Jesus crucified and risen, our judge and our hope in life, in death, in life beyond death. God is with us. We are not alone. Thanks be to God. Amen. been enjoying this study of Genesis I think you'll love to be in the Bible study we're doing on Thursday nights in August Dr. Joel Pensera will be leading that it's entitled stories that illuminate our relationship with God a couple of the evenings he'll be looking at these stories from Genesis as well as some others if you'd like to be a part of that Thursday 6 to 7 p.m via technology via zoom get on the website or on our social media platforms you can find the link and you can be a part of that Bible study group you want to be a part of a support group or a book study we have those as well check our links be a part of whatever serves and sustains you during these days together will you receive the benediction oh god we thank you for your continuous presence with us strengthen and sustain us through our days in the name of christ amen <music>